Well, I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward to getting the sound system back in order. You don't have a clue. You don't even know the half of how that affects me. But I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to take that out of my mind. And whew, Wow. Good times. Good times. Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. We'll read through verse 11 again. We're in our theme for this year. The Lord's Day is what we've been addressing and dealing with. We're in the book of Haggai, and today we're going to finally get to, I think we're going to get to um, a uh, place where we finally get to deal with the message I've been trying to get to for three weeks. Consider your ways. I'm hoping we can get to that, and we'll see how it goes. Um, uh, I might have to grab that mic that Brother Mark had there in a minute if this thing keeps going in and out and see if we see, at least we've got, looks like two mics working. Uh, the one that Morgan was using was working and the one that Brother Mark finally got, well, that one's working. We'll get this thing together. Haggai chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shetil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, 
The people say, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it thine for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye, ye, ye clothe you, but there's none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it in a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, and bring wood, and build the house. And I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. He looked for much, and lo, it came to little. When you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man into his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Father, we come to you. We ask in these next few moments that you would speak and move in our lives. We thank you for your wonderful word and we're grateful, Father, for the Word of God. Thank you, Father, for the sound guys that are working so diligently to make this thing happen. Lord, I can't imagine after everything that was changed and put in place for this production, now here we are, Lord, trying to make it all fit this morning. And I just pray that you'd give them wisdom, Lord. And Lord, we just all understand that, well, you're in charge. So, Lord, what you want will take place and it'll be exactly what we need. So help us, Lord, to just... Lean on you and not our own understanding. Well, thank you for that. Now, Lord, bless our time together in your word. We pray that you'd be exalted. Walk these aisles and do a work in our hearts. Now, fill me with your Holy Ghost. I desperately need you. And, Lord, may you fill every believer here. And may you convict every sinner of their need of Christ. Well, God of heaven, we desperately need you today. So, Lord, we're asking you to do a perfect work in our imperfect lives. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, those being addressed in the passage had returned to the land of Judah from Babylonian captivity under the decree of Cyrus. And so they find themselves in Jerusalem. They start off with a bang. I mean, they are on fire. They're convinced that they're carrying out a divine calling. Theirs was a heart of determination and dedication. They had a godly desire to see their temple rebuilt and the worship restored and the city resurrected all over again. They longed for Israel to rise from the ashes, to stand as a royal diadem of God's presence, protection and provision among the nations. Their hearts were knit together. They were striving together. Their desires were the same. They, they believed they could get the job done with God on their side. But they found themselves in a very unfamiliar, hostile and scary environment. Things were very different than they were back in Babylon. Yes, the foundation of the temple had been laid, but the political climate had changed in the meantime and had forbidden them to continue with the building. Well, 
I suppose that's it, they would have said. I suppose we can't do anything more. The government has opposed us. The government says to shut it all down. I guess that's exactly what we must do. So they left rebuilding the temple and they turned their attention to their own homes and livelihoods. They were desperately trying to find a sense of normalcy, a sense of familiarity. They were bombarded with difficulties. They were surrounded by danger. They were overwhelmed with disappointments. And the devil distracted them from every side and kept them from fulfilling the real purpose for which God had sent them to Jerusalem. Remember, these weren't bad people. They did have some bad thinking. They weren't any more wicked than anyone else, but they were wrong concerning their priorities. They had lost sight of their purpose and the reason God had sent them. So for 16 years, the work of rebuilding the temple had stood still. To this, God responds by saying in verse 4, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? It's as if God is saying, I hear what you're saying, but really? Seriously? I mean, you were sent to rebuild the temple and you were on fire and doing well and some opposition raises its ugly head and all of a sudden it's time to turn your attention to your own homes and your own livelihood. Really? Again, we noted that that specific phrase, consider your ways, is only used twice in the entire Bible, and it's used in this chapter both times. Here we see it in verse 4, and then we see it later on here. Excuse me, I mean in verse 5. He says, consider your ways. Consider your ways. And then in verse 7, he'll say it again, reminding them, consider your ways. You're neglecting the building of God's house. You've turned your attention to your own needs. And by saying consider your ways, it's as if he's challenging these people to not only consider their choices, but consider the consequences as well. I mean, again, by neglecting the building of the house of God, they, they, he says, listen, do you understand, although it may appear to you and seem to you that you've gotten ahead personally, the fact is, is that the poverty that you really sought to prevent by not building the temple, God brought upon you for not building it. I mean, look around you for a moment. Consider your ways. Think about how hard you've worked and how little you really have. You eat. But you're always hungry. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You care for your needs, but still, you're, you're out in the world and out in the cold. The money you make at the job doesn't seem to go so far. It's as if you're putting money in a bag with holes in it. Again, consider your ways, he says in verse 7. Get to work. Build my house. Please me, and you will glorify me. And when you please me, you'll prosper. Do you realize that only 47% of Americans are members of a house of worship? 47%. We noted that 
Less than half of Americans say they belong to that house of worship. This marks the first time since Gallup began collecting data in 1937 that the majority of Americans aren't part of a church, a synagogue, or a mosque. We're not just talking about fundamental Christianity. We're talking about any kind of house of worship under 50% for the first time. It's amazing to think that religious membership was stable through the 20th century. It fell from 70% in 2000 to 47% in 2020. Think about the rapid decline in church attendance. Understand what is really taking place. There is an obvious lack of interest in in church today. There is less and less people attending church than ever before. There's an overall lackadaisical and nonchalant attitude toward church and faith in general. And these are all symptoms of a bigger, greater problem. And the greater problem is a mindset, a departure from a mindset. The Lord's Day. You know, it wasn't that long ago that our society in general recognized Sunday as the Lord's Day. Sundays were sacred. Businesses weren't open. Sundays, there were no sales of alcohol. So what are we to do in order to curb this trend and to avoid the same fate that these Jews did in Jerusalem? Well, we need to follow the advice of the prophet. Consider your ways. Consider means to fix the mind on with a view to a careful examination. To think on with care. To ponder. To study, to meditate on. Again, to fix the mind on or to focus the mind on that which is to view careful examination, to to give yourself the opportunity to truly recognize and understand what's taking place. The book of Proverbs also addresses this thought of considering our ways. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 26 says, uh, turn over there, this is really uh, interesting. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 26. Notice what the writer says, and again we know that the author is the Lord. He uses instruments, just like you use a pen in your hand to write on a piece of paper. God used those men to spell out the word of God. So although they may be the writer, he is the author. Notice what the Bible says here in Proverbs 4.26. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. It's interesting, isn't it? Sounds a lot like the advice that's being given to these Jews in Jerusalem by the prophet and the God of heaven. Consider your ways. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn to Proverbs 5.21 now. Why in the world must we do this? Why is it imperative and so important that we do this? Well, Proverbs 5.21 says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. 
He says, listen, you may not be pondering your goings. You may not be looking ahead and trying to see where, what direction you're traveling and where you'll end up. But I promise you one thing, God is. According to the writer again, we must ponder or consider our ways because the Lord is watching. And God was watching. He reminded the people that he and his house were the reason they journeyed to Jerusalem in the first place. He was very interested on what was going on. The Lord's telling them, as he's telling us today, to carefully examine your actions, your direction, and your end. Ponder and meditate upon these things. What are you doing today? Examine what you're actually doing, the direction you're traveling, and where it's going to lead you. Ponder those things. Consider your ways, he's saying. You know, very few people really slow down enough to even consider their ways. We're often very busy, aren't we? We find ourselves running at top speed every morning till night. We wake up, we do it all over again, don't we? We're just on the move all the time, and we never have any moment to just slow down and consider our way. And again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't stay busy. I'm not even implying by any stretch of the imagination we shouldn't work hard or long if necessary. No, not at all. I'm all for working long and hard. What I am saying, however, is that we need to take the time to consider our ways. And by the way, don't just consider what you have gained, but consider what you have lost. Now, this is very important because most of the time when we start to evaluate our life, we begin to look at our actions and the, the direction we're traveling and the end. We think about the things we have gained. But what have you lost in gaining those things? And I believe that when those Jews are being asked this or uh, being told to consider their ways, I think God is trying to get them to understand that there's always a kind of a boomerang effect. We point to the pluses and we see the many good things, but we fail to see how those things affect us as well in a negative way. For instance, we point to things like this, the pluses. A lucrative career. The pluses, nice things. Comfortable lifestyle. Entertainment and relaxation, positive. We look at those and we say, I've gained those things. And by the way, the world can look at the Lord's Day and say, I've given up the Lord's Day, but I must tell you what I have gained. I'm at home relaxing on Sunday mornings. I'm with my family. I'm out boating. I'm doing a lot of fun things and nice things. And we look at them and say, wow, I mean, to tell you, it seems as God, as though God's blessing them. What about me and my family? I work hard six days a week and I spend Sunday at the church house. And what in the world do I get for it? Hmm, that's a, that happens from time to time. And we look and we say, well, maybe myself now, I'm a Christian, but... Eh, you know what, I'm not making the Lord's Day that important in my life. And we start to consider our ways and we only think about the things we've gained. You know what, I believe that if you could talk to some of those Jews back there in Jerusalem, 
I think they could make it very clear there's been a few trade-offs. If you'd say, hey, what have you lost along the way? If you were to poll them and ask them that same question, what have you lost today? I believe you might be told some things like this. We lost our purpose for being here. We lost our purpose for being here. If this was about moving in order to establish a comfortable life for us and our families, we have failed miserably. We would have been better off back in Babylon where we came from. And we come to Jerusalem with a purpose to rebuild the temple, to establish worship, and to, to, to once again resurrect our city. For 16 years, we have not toiled in the area that God called us to or would have had us toil. We lost our purpose. We missed what, we've, we've missed it over 16 years now. We have missed it. I don't know about you, but there is a generation today in America trying to find purpose. All we keep trying to tell them is your purpose is to make more money, to fuel the government so that everybody can be well taken care of. My friend, I'm going to tell you something that that won't meet and fulfill that longing in the heart of a human being. That's not a purpose at all in a sense if it's the only purpose. Of course we need to make a living and of course we need to provide housing for our family the best we can. We need to make provision. Yes, God has given us responsibilities as men especially to take care of those things. But my friend, let me tell you something. God has a purpose for your life too. God has a bigger purpose than simply filling a belly or putting a roof over our heads. And I believe these Jews would have said, you know what? We came here on fire. We were ready to do the work of God, and we got sidetracked. We had a big purpose, a godly purpose, a divine purpose, an eternal purpose, and we lost it. Oh, we gained some things, but we lost our purpose. They might have said something like this. We lost favor with God. We lost favor with God. They're considering their ways and they're not just looking at what they've gained, but now they're considering what they've lost. And we lost favor with God as we traveled to this place. We were ever reminded, they may say, of the hand of God upon our lives and the work. At every turn, we could see God. At every turn, we, we, we were so, we marveled at his many blessings upon us and our lives and our ministries. It's amazing what God was doing. How many times he provided for us, protected us, and even promoted us among the heathen. He, we couldn't even have imagined how God would step up and reveal himself to us through, and, and, and how he would use us. But today, that's not the case. It's as though the hand of God was removed. The presence of God isn't as strong any longer in our lives, our families, our community. We lost our purpose for being here. We, we lost favor with God. I think because they neglected the work of God, because they focused on themselves, their families, and their livelihood, I believe they might have said something like this. We lost much of our effort and our hard work. Oh, we know God spells that out in the book of Haggai. And God's hand of blessing was removed from us 
It's obvious in the passage, and he say, sure, we spent hour upon hour trying to get ahead, and the devil gave, gave us, and this is interesting, the devil, I believe they'd say, the devil gave us exactly what we required to remain faithful in our vain effort. Well, I'm prospering to some degree. Yeah, who and where's that prosperity coming from? You know, we act as though the devil's not the God of this world. Well, obviously, anything good in my life, all that money I'm making, oh, even though I've neglected the Lord's day, oh, all that time I spend, at the, oh, even though I've neglected the Lord's day, oh, all that, oh, even though I neglected the... It's all of God, maybe little g God, and just enough. He knows. You say, well, how's come this one has so much extra, this one doesn't have as much because maybe that one settles for less. And the devil says, I'll give you just what you need to keep you from going back to that. I'll dangle just enough in front of you to keep you from getting back to your purpose, back to favor with God, and back to putting your effort in to the things of God and the work of God. I'll keep you satisfied enough to keep you separated from him and his purpose for your life. And I believe they would say, you know what? We fell into the trap. Our houses were built. Our lives were formed. Our families raised. But at what price? We've had to work twice as hard as necessary to acquire what we have. It had been a lot easier back in Babylon I think if we would have asked them to consider their ways and said, not only what have you gained, but what have you lost, I think they, would have, they might have said we lost our purpose for being here. We lost favor with God. We lost much of our effort and our hard work. And finally, I'm not so sure they wouldn't have said, we may have lost our children. Our little ones saw the fire in our eyes early on. As we began the work of God, as we laid the foundation for the temple, they saw the passion we had for God and for the things of God and the work of God. They watched their daddies and their mamas tirelessly give themselves to the ministry. We lived a simple life for sure. Oh, we had little money. Few provisions, but our hands and our backs were strong, our spirits high, and our hopes and dreams burst in our minds and were on our lips continually. We had hope in those days. We had fire in those days. We had joy in those days. And we sang the songs of Zion. Then we lost our fervor and our favor for God and His work. Our attention turned from God in the temple to us and our needs. The dream was gone. The work was abandoned. The Lord was demoted. We may not have said it aloud, but our lives taught our children what was really important to us. Our priorities painted a vibrant picture of what really mattered in life. We may have lost our children. 
It's not only what we gain when we dismiss the Lord in our life and the things of God. It's also what we lose. How many a young person walks away from God after even being raised in the church? And we wonder, what in the world's going on? Let's not lose our fervor for 16 years and think that God owes us faithful children. First of all, God owes us nothing but hell. It's all grace, right? If any of our children are faithful to the Lord in their latter years, we give him the glory. But I can tell you this. Those Jews were worried they're going to lose their children to the world because they themselves had forgotten about the Lord's day and his work and decided to put their effort and their investment in their own temporal needs and fulfill their own temporal desires. Most of the time, people will ponder the cost of Christianity. They'll ponder the cost of a committed lifestyle on behalf of God. What's it going to, it's going to cost me. If I would sell out to Jesus Christ, it's going to cost me something. Few take the time or exert the energy to consider the cost of abandoning Christ and abandoning a surrendered life lived on his behalf. I wonder, what is a life of purpose worth? What is favor with God worth? What is toil with God's hand of blessing worth? What is our children living for God worth to us? The truth is, is that only you can answer that question. That's not a corporate answer. It's an individual one. But I want to encourage you, the next time you consider your ways, which ought to be every day of our lives to some degree, don't just consider what you've gained. Consider what you've lost because of your choices. Sadly, we're prone to do what is easiest and least troublesome. It's normal for us. Not only that, we're prone to do things the way we always have. It provides us with a sense of familiarity and comfort, security, safety. But that doesn't make it right, nor productive in the long run. You and I must not only consider what we gain, but what we lose. Turn to Matthew 16 as we close. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus is going to speak and listen to the message that he gives to his disciples. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, 
if any man will come after me. 1624. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? This morning God is crying out and he's saying, consider your ways. And in this passage, as he's telling you to consider your ways, for me to consider my ways, he said, what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world? He says, you may have been profited the whole world. You may have money like nobody's business, things like never before. You could have everything and every desire you ever wanted fulfilled. He says, you've gained the whole world but don't forget to consider what you will lose or what it's cost you. For what is a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? To you who have never received and accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior today, that last line, it really applies to you more than anything else. You may be seeking purpose in your life. Fulfillment, satisfaction, joy, love. Seeking all of these things. But can I tell you, you truly only find fulfillment and satisfaction in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, he hung on a cross between heaven and earth. Why? Because of your sin, my sin. As good as we try to be, we're never good enough to earn God's favor. We'll never be able to say in and of ourselves we're capable of standing in his presence. We will all bow one day for sure. We'll all fall at his feet in humility. But he's crying out and saying, do it today while I give you opportunity because what you will gain is eternal life. What you will gain is forgiveness. What you will gain is membership in my family and I will come and live inside you and dwell in you and be with you forever. You'll never be alone in this life or the next. But if you choose to neglect me and chase all the world, everything or anything in it, whether you settle for a lot or you settle for a little, it won't matter. The only way you escape the penalty of sin, which is death, or to be eternally separated from God forever in a place called the lake of fire, is to settle on him. Today, this morning, I want to encourage you to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want to, I'm begging you to receive him, to, to invite him into your life, to admit that I'm, you're the sinner that he died for, to admit that he is the Christ who he claimed to be, sinless and perfect, Emmanuel, God with us. And that not only did he live a sinless, perfect life, but he died a perfect, sinless Savior. And he rose again a perfect, sinless mediator. 
that he can stand between us and God and make intercession on our behalf. Your sin can be washed away once and for all through the blood of Jesus Christ. Will you trust him today? For what is a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There's nothing worth losing your soul over. But today as a believer, as we close, if we fail to give God what he asks us for, if we fail to present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto him, Let's not just think about what we gain. Let's consider what we will lose. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time we've had together in your word, and we thank you for the privilege it is to be part of your family and, Lord, those that know you at least. But, Father, there may be those in the crowd who have yet to receive and accept you. Lord, they desperately need you as their Savior and Lord. For the believer, we're asking that, Father, you would just... Convict us as well of our need. And Lord, help us to recognize how important it is that we give to you everything you've asked us for, that we make a priority, that we make you a priority in our life and and your word a priority and obedience a priority. Well, Father, help us to be involved in your work and to give our time to you and your day. Father, I pray, dear God, again, you'd bless us. Now, Father, speak to our hearts. And as the altars will open, may, Father, people do business with you. In just a moment, we'll close this prayer. But if you don't know Christ as your Savior, why don't you just stand up where you're at and make your way to the front. Brother Kavanaugh standing right up here. He'll have a woman, if you're a woman, help you by taking a Bible and showing you very quickly how you can know for sure heaven's your home. If you're a man, he'll have a fellow show you. Can you just, would you like to settle that today? Won't you come? Won't you do that? The music's going to start. Please just simply step out into the aisle. And let someone help you and show you from God's word how you can settle your soul's salvation and have Christ as your Savior and Lord permanently, once and for all, trusting only in him and him alone.